This is John Clay, sports columnist for the Lexington Herald Leader and Kentucky.com. Wanted to say just a quick word to thank everyone who supports our work at Kentucky.com and the Lexington Herald Leader. And remind you, you can get a sports-only subscription to Kentucky.com, a digital subscription where you get all of our sports coverage. That's Kentucky basketball with Jerry Tipton, Kentucky football with Josh Moore. You get our my columns, Mark Story's columns. You get Kentucky recruiting, basketball recruiting with Ben Roberts. You get all of our high school coverage with Jared Peck. $30 for the first year for a sports-only subscription to Kentucky.com. Please check that out. Go to Kentucky.com, hit the subscribe button, check out all of our offers. And once again, we thank everyone who supports our work at the Lexington Herald Leader and Kentucky.com. Welcome back to the John Clay Podcast. I'm John Clay, sports columnist for the Lexington Herald Leader and Kentucky.com. Believe it or not, we are just two weeks away from the start of the college basketball season. And on this particular episode, we're going to talk college basketball. And we're going to talk about it with John Rothstein of CBS Sports. If you know John or follow him on Twitter, you know he is a college basketball insider extraordinaire. He calls himself the hungriest college basketball insider. Uh, John has a podcast the College Hoops Today podcast. He has a website, the College Hoops Today website, where he covers uh, college basketball. He says 52 weeks a year. Uh, He lives, eats, sleeps, breathes college basketball. I thought he'd be a great person to talk to about the scheduling. How difficult has it been for these college programs to put together a schedule as we go through this global pandemic for the 2021 season? We also talked about uh, Kentucky basketball, his breakdown of the roster, what he thinks about John Calipari's team going into this season. And we also talked about the national picture, who John likes uh, in college basketball for this season. So let's not waste any more time. Let's get right to it with John Rothstein of CBS Sports. My guest now on the podcast is John Rothstein of CBS Sports, who is a college basketball insider extraordinaire. Uh, John, if you follow John on Twitter, I think he's got over. I think John, you've got over like two hundred thousand Twitter followers. You're always breaking news on Twitter uh, about scheduling, basketball news, transfers, you name it. And the one thing I want, first of all, how are you doing tonight? I'm good, John. It's great to be with you. Well, thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it. John, what? How difficult has it been for in talking to the coaches and administrators that you talk to? How difficult has it been for these college basketball programs to put together schedules going into this 2020-21 season with this global pandemic going on? Well, you know, I'm a man sometimes a few words on Twitter, but I try those words to obviously have uh, significance. And the best way to describe college basketball scheduling in 2020 is wilder than a goat rodeo. You just gotta, you, you just have to buckle up and hope that you land on something decent. You know, I'm still talking to a number of programs, John. We're, you know, about two weeks away from the start of the season that are still trying to solidify their plans for an NTE and trying to find games of significance. So I hope that we never have to go through anything like, obviously, this coronavirus pandemic again in our lives. We hope it's a once-in-a-century type thing, and, Obviously, we hope from a scheduling perspective, too, that we don't have to endure that from a college basketball perspective either. Yeah, absolutely. No doubt about that. What about, I mean, the big, the buzzword seems to be bubbles. And as you mentioned, MTEs, uh, it sounds like we're going to see a lot of those type things going on. Is that right? 
Yeah, you know, we, we definitely are, you know, but, but I think the thing that we have to keep in mind is that, you know, there's still going to be pockets of time where we don't have those things available to us. Like the Orlando bubble that the NBA obviously maximized and did an outstanding job isn't something right now that I think is realistic in college basketball in terms of the length of time. I think we're going to see certain conferences, you know, maybe look to have bubble situations for maybe a one to two week period. And then, you know, based on a conversation I had last week with Dan Gavin, I think the NCAA is going to intensify their plans to potentially have the NCAA tournament in a bubble because they can't afford to have any COVID setbacks with an event of that magnitude. But, you know, I, I think, you know, we're, we're going to have to brace for cancellations. We're going to have to brace for things changing on a daily and hourly basis with the schedule. It's going to be a season unlike any we've seen, but, you know, we have two choices every day. We can be positive and optimistic, or we can be negative and sarcastic. And I always choose to be positive and optimistic, and it's not going to be a perfect season. There's going to be setbacks again along the way. But I think the exciting thing is we're going to be having a season, and it's always exciting if you're having a college basketball season when you live in a place that lives and breathes it like you do in Lexington, Kentucky. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, yes, I'm following you on Twitter. I know you're you're a very optimistic person. Uh, in the talking to the coaches and administrators, are they optimistic that one way or another we're going to be able to pull this off this year? Yeah, I think the fact that you know the NCAA came out in September and said you know be eligible for the NCAA tournament, you have to play a minimum of 13 games. That gives teams a little bit of leeway. But wouldn't it be unique? If we're talking about a team, you know, getting ready for the NCAA tournament, we say, you know what, they're eight and five, but they're really on the bubble. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, you know, we, we never, so we never thought we'd be having those conversations, but no. you know, lo, lo and behold, that's where we, that's where we are. And you know, John, you know, I, uh, I'll admit this, you know, I obviously look at, you know, some metrics, obviously, to help, you know, with my opinions, but I've always been somebody who's relied on my eyes versus the numbers, unless the numbers that I was using to back up a point was staggering from a statistical perspective. And I think this year you're going to have a much greater weight based on the eye test versus the metrics because resumes are not going to be aligned and fair because we are going to have setbacks. We are going to have, you know, cancellations. The inventory isn't going to be even across the board. So for what you and I do, we really got to be obviously focused and watching as much as we can so we can truly evaluate just how good these teams are. Yeah, no, that's true. You mentioned Dan Gavitt. I mean, uh, college football really doesn't have a – because it's not really run by the NCAA, it doesn't really have a commissioner or a czar or somebody who kind of oversees the whole thing. It's kind of left up to conference commissioners. The NCAA is a little different, as you mentioned, with the tournament. How pivotal a figure is Dan Gavitt in all of this? Well, a massive figure because he's the person that, you know, we're going to point to to shepherd us through these uncharted circumstances. And, you know, I've talked to Dan, you know, multiple times since last March when the tournament was canceled. And, you know, one of the things that he told me that really resonated with him is that, you know, regardless of what happens this year, he still knows that he is going to live with for the rest of his life that he was in charge when he couldn't crown a national champion. I mean, when you're in that type of position, that lingers with you for a lifetime. So when you are in the conversations and people say, are we going to pull off a season? 
we may pull off it, you know, a season in an unorthodox fashion, but, you know, go to bed at night knowing that we're going to have an NCAA tournament. Right, right. What There there was some talk at one time about maybe that the conferences would do like the football conferences have done and just play conference-only schedules. That doesn't look like it's going to be the case now. Uh, do you think we're pretty uh, solid that there will be some non-conference games before the, the conferences start their schedules? Yeah, I think we're going to obviously try and play some non-conference games. And, you know, the NCAA selection committee did not want to put themselves in a situation where they didn't have non-conference inventory because obviously so much of how they see the NCAA tournament is based on how teams do in the non-conference portion of the schedule. So I understand, obviously, why they did that. But looking right now at what has transpired, looking right now, and what we've seen in terms of the differences in the testing models with all these different conferences, because we're in a once in a century type pandemic, and because we have so many issues just getting to the floor, I think in hindsight, we should have had conference only play and obviously maybe added, you know, more games to the original conference in total and then had the selection committee, you know, figured out a different way to see the tournament and put that on them and worried about the rest later. But you know, you can't get everything you want in life. No. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, speaking of non-conference, of course, Kentucky was scheduled to open up in, in the uh, uh, in the Champions Classic. Uh, what are you hearing on that? We've heard maybe Indianapolis. We've heard now we're here maybe Chicago. Uh, wh- what are you hearing on that? You know, I reported it last week that, you know, Kentucky, Kansas is expected to be in Indianapolis. And Duke, you know, obviously announced uh, officially that they're going to host Michigan State at a separate site in Durham, North Carolina. So that's the plan of December 1st. And that game is really in the middle of, when you look at it, a murderer's row stretch for a Kentucky game, a Kentucky team that has one player back from last season in Keon Brooks, and he's not healthy right now. I mean, that's a stretch for, you know, you look at it on paper, you're going to play a very good Richmond team that was picked first in the Atlantic 10 preseason poll. You're going to play Kansas. You're going to play Georgia Tech, who I firmly believe is an NCAA tournament team in 2021. You know, I was going over some numbers today, John, and, you know, I've said this, you know, ad nauseum here in the preseason. If Jose Alvarado and Michael DeVoe play for Louisville, Syracuse, North Carolina, or Duke, they'd be talked about as one of the better backcourts in college basketball. Georgia Tech was a 17-win team last year. They were 12-8. and eight when Jose Alvarado was in the lineup and they're five and six without him. Another thing, five of their losses last year were by five points or less. So that's another tough game for Kentucky and Atlanta. You've got Notre Dame at home. You've got a veteran UCLA team in the CBS Sports Classic that was a jump shot away from winning, you know, a share of the Pac-12 regular season title last year with Oregon. And then you got Louisville on December 26th. So those six games are all bunched together, starting with the Richmond game. So that is a murderous row stretch for a very inexperienced Kentucky basketball team. Well, what do you think of this Kentucky team? Uh, you talked about the tough schedule. Only Keon Brooks is the only guy back who played any at all last year. What, what about the What about this Kentucky team? You know, John Calipari's teams are always better late than they are early. And I, I think the thing to keep in mind, though, is that, you know, when I think about the Kentucky teams, really since the 2015 team, they went 38-1, and 
always somewhere I felt like there was some holes. In 15-16, you had the perimeter of Briscoe, Eulis, and Murray, but it felt like with Poitras and Lee, they were missing something up front. We had the three-headed monster in 17 of Fox, Monk, and Adebayo, but it felt like those three sometimes were like, you know, on an island, like they were Tom Hanks and Castaway. Right. And then, you know, they had obviously the 2018 team that lost to Kansas State, and, you know, I thought that team was just a really young basketball team that, you know, probably wasn't ready to absorb the responsibility of being a Final Four caliber team. And then the team that lost to Auburn, I thought, you know, really just, you know, didn't get the type of point guard play, especially in the regional final, that John Calipari's teams have gotten when they've won big. I mean, when you think back to his teams at the highest of levels, Derrick Rose at Memphis, John Wall, obviously, at Kentucky. Also, you know, Marcus Teague ran that team in 2012 at a high level. And in 2015, when that Kentucky team was playing, obviously, its best basketball is because Andrew Harrison was playing really good basketball. Right. So, you, you know, I didn't think the 2019 team had, you know, the best point guard play. You know, I thought Hagen's obviously struggling in the late eight. But when I look at that, I look at the potential for this team. I think this team, from a completeness perspective, has a chance to be the most complete team since the team we saw go 38-1 and one because I see a two-headed monster at point guard with Askew, with Mince. You have two NBA-caliber wings, and then you have Brooks, and you obviously have Saar up front. And, you know, the guy from, you know, talking to, you know, well-embedded moles, you know, Lexington, and, you know, check, check, and checking with the staff from time to time, the guy that's really turned edge is Isaiah Jackson. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I see a team, you know, that, you know, has two options at point guard, has, you know, size on the wings, and has, you know, obviously size up front. I see a team that's going to be l- better late than it is early, and I think a team that, you know, by the end of the season – will be a consensus team, you know, that's going to be in the mix to uh, make a run in the NCAA tournament. You mentioned Olivier Saar. How, how good can he be, uh, and how important was it for Kentucky to get that waiver that he could play right away? Well, I mean, it was a game changer for Kentucky because you have somebody with college experience. You have somebody, obviously, that's produced at a high level. But I think it's important to, to remind people that, you know, Wake Forest was still one of the worst teams in the ACC last season when Olivier Saar was on that roster. However, now he's in a role where he doesn't have to absorb maybe all of the pressure as he did when he was on a team like Wake Forest. Now all of a sudden he can be somebody who plays off of Terrence Clark, who plays off of B.J. Boston, who can finish around the rim off offensive rebounds, off putbacks. He can be a piece of the puzzle instead of somebody that they're going to lean on and obviously be somebody that's going to be a focal point. So I think he'll be a really, really welcome addition. And I like the fact that because Kentucky only had one player back, you've got a veteran that's all up front. You've got a veteran in Davion Mintz, obviously, in the backcourt. Davion Mintz, a player who, you know, has played in the NCAA tournament for Creighton. Right, right, yeah. They, they, I think people are kind of uh, he's kind of got lost in the shovel from people looking at the team that he could he could make a big difference with this team, and because there's been so much focus on Sar and the freshman, uh, he maybe not has gotten quite the attention that maybe he he deserves or what he's going to end up being for this team. Well, and, and again, you know, I mean, this is somebody again that played in the Big East, right. 
that, you know, wasn't necessarily an all-conference player, but averaged just under 10 points a game. I mean, this isn't his first rodeo right now. So now all of a sudden, you know, similar to Saar, he doesn't have to come in and set the world on fire. He has to know his role, be comfortable in his role, and think about obviously being the best ancillary piece he can because, you know, I think when all said and done, you know, the wings on this team with Clark and Boston are obviously going to dictate the ceiling. Right. No, I think you're right. What about the national picture? Who do you like in the national picture? I know you do a top 25. Who, 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 who do you see at the top of that, at least going into the season? You know, Villanova, to me, you know, has become a blue blood program under Jay Wright. They lost a potential lottery pick in Sadiq Bay. But, you know, Jeremiah Robinson and Colin Gillespie are going to be All-American side candidates. You know, I think Gonzaga, you know, is in, obviously in the mix to be one of the best teams in the country. You know, they they, they do lose a great player, Philip Petrusa, who would have been a first-team All-American. I know they have Drew Timmy ready to step in, but I think that's getting a little bit less attention than it should. Certainly Baylor is obviously going to be a terrific team. And then, you know, there's a slew of teams from the Big Ten that I have in my top ten. Wisconsin, who, believe it or not, you know, this year is going to probably start three 50-year seniors, which is unheard of in college basketball. Yeah. Yeah. And, then, and then Illinois and Iowa, you know, have, you know, an opportunity, in my opinion, to have the type of seasons at those programs that probably come along once every, you know, 20, 25 years because, you know, they are going to have a legitimate chance at, at those programs to do what Illinois did in 2005 or do what Iowa did in, two, in uh, 1980, and that's go to a Final Four. So I think the Big Ten, 1 through 14, will be the deepest conference in the country. I think you're going to see, obviously, the top five of the Big 12 being the best 1 through 5 you know, in, in the country. And I think when you look at the Pac-12, the Pac-12 to me, one through seven, has a legitimate chance to tie its record of seven NCAA tournament teams, which we saw in 2016. And then in the SEC, you know, obviously people know about Kentucky and Tennessee and, LS- and LSU and Florida. I think those four are cut above. And I think LSU is a team that, you know, pound for pound, inch for inch, may have the best roster in the SEC. So it's going to be a fascinating year on a lot of fronts. No, it is. Definitely, definitely. I'm just happy that it looks like we're going to be able to play basketball. So so that's the main thing, and I know you are too. Uh, John, t- tell the listeners how – what few listeners who don't already follow you on Twitter, tell them how they can follow you on Twitter and where else they can find your work. I'm at John Rothstein on Twitter. That's J-O-N-R-O-T-H-S-T-E-I-N. I also host the College Hoops Today podcast through Compass Media. It's the only college basketball podcast coming to you 52 weeks out of the calendar year. And I'm also, you know, obviously an in-studio analyst for an insider for both CBS Sports Network and CBS Sports. And I'll have, uh, you know, tons of... Uh, Tons of stories coming out on my website, collegehoopstoday.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at, at john.rothstein, and hopefully I have some other projects this season, too, that I can share soon. Yeah, John is everywhere, but be sure and check out his podcast and his and his uh, uh, page that he was talking about there, the College Hoops Today page. Be sure and check those out. John, we really appreciate you being on the podcast. I really enjoyed talking to you. Thanks, John. Love reading your work, and uh, most importantly for all of us, stay safe. You too. Thanks, John. 
Okay, that'll do it for this edition of the John Clay Podcast. I want to thank my guest, John Rothstein of CBS Sports. Be sure and check out everything that John does. Follow him on Twitter. Check out his podcast, the College Hoops Today podcast. Check out his website, the College Hoops Today website. Look for him on the CBS Sports channel and on CBS uh, doing college basketball. Uh, be sure and check out all of John's work. He's he's everywhere. He's a great follow, especially on Twitter. Thanks to everybody who listens to these podcasts. You can follow you can find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Tuned In, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio Podcasts, you name it, you can find the John Clay Podcast. Give us a rating and review that helps get the word out. We appreciate everybody who has done that, especially on the Apple Podcasts. Uh, that just helps get more listeners for this podcast. We'll have some more podcasts coming up. As we do always, we'll have a, a preview of the Kentucky football game coming up Saturday. Kentucky plays Vanderbilt. Look for that. We'll have a podcast soon with Ben Roberts talking UK basketball recruiting. So look for those coming up in the next few days. Thanks again for listening to the podcast. Thanks again to John Rothstein. And we'll be talking to you again soon.